Dennis gave this assignment of um, jewelry and jewelry box. And I made a small animal jump trap out of sterling silver and made a 18 karat gold ring as the bait. And I thought about it in terms of it really being a jewelry box. And that was that single piece for me that I finally understood how to connect idea with object or I could, I could finally recognize the things that were necessary to make that kind of work. Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 71st episode, I'm happy to be joined by artist Donovan Widmere in this interview that we did months back. Donovan is a Pittsburgh native and currently lives in Grand Forks, North Dakota, where he teaches and maintains a really intensive studio practice that explores small metals, jewelry making, sculpture, blacksmithing, uh, the use of found objects, and kind of combining them all in a variety of different ways. So we talk about those ways in this podcast. And, of course, before the podcast, I highly recommend you go check out DonovanWidmere.com and read some of his statements about the work and some of the different bodies of work up there. We'd also like to remind any new listeners that you can access a lot of different interviews by going to studiobreak.com. Again, each of the posts have slideshows of the artist's work as well as links to their websites. So please go ahead and check them out. You can easily access all of the archives through the archive button on the left sidebar. Go month by month. Check out all the great artists that you missed. Of course, be sure to use all those handy sharing buttons. And if you like the podcast, you can subscribe to it in the iTunes store. Search for Studio Break under podcasts or use the link on this episode to subscribe. Of course, if you want to find out more about Studio Break, you can follow us on Twitter at Studio Break. You can like our Facebook page or you can also follow us on our Tumblr account, studio-break.tumblr. So please go ahead and do that. All right. We have this interview with Donovan coming up, so stay tuned. Welcome to Studio Break. I'm really excited to have Donovan Widmer on for my first uh, podcast in this new apartment, so I apologize for any sound, but how are you doing this evening, Donovan? Good. How about yourself, Mr. Linaway? So I'm, I'm pretty excited after just moving and, and getting settled in, but... It's especially nice to have you finally uh, commit to this. I know it's like uh, torture for you. In some ways, yeah. Uh. Could you, uh, first of all, just uh, tell us where you're from and um, and kind of tangential off of there, I'm guessing, because it'll it'll go pretty easily that way. Uh, Let's see. I was born and raised in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I went to Edinburgh University of Pennsylvania for undergrad study art, and I ended up picking jewelry metals as my emphasis area. Uh, A bunch of naive reasons that an 18-year-old trying to pick their entire career and plan their entire life. Uh, So I had very naive reasons I picked jewelry. That would be interesting to explore that one. (laughs) Went there. Sue Mendelore was my teacher. From there, I took two years off, and I went to graduate school at Illinois State, studied under Dennis French, which is where you and I met. And after grad school, was in Illinois for about two more years, and then I was offered this current position that I'm at now, which is associate professor at University of North Dakota. 
teaching jewelry and metals. What kind of things were you involved with when, when you were a kid? Did you... I don't know why I imagine you just getting arrested more than anything, but maybe that's totally, totally off. That's actually totally off. I didn't, um, I was maybe a goody two shoes. Not really, but kind of. Mm -hmm. Okay. I was a typical, I was a typical child of the nineties, uh, heavily influenced by the punk movement. Didn't understand most of the political overtones that it actually had. And, I was a skater, so and a really bad one at that. Uh, mostly, I just liked hanging out at skate parks. But you know, you have to have a skateboard to do that. So, did you get involved in art when you were young then too? Well, my parents went to art school. It was a two-year program, though, so they they only have an associate's degree, and they they met there. And they're both very practical people, very pragmatic. So they weren't willing to take all the risks that I was or or you were, where you just kind of throw caution in the wind and hope this whole thing's going to work out like you think. Mm-hmm. So, so I was surrounded by art in a very early age. Uh, I think the running joke was whenever I was six months old, my mother mixed food coloring in vanilla pudding and had me finger painting. That way, if I ate the paint, it wasn't a big deal. So... And then they did the craft show circuit, and so I was going to those little things. Probably that's why I'm so much more interested in craft than fine art. They knew a lot of artists, so we were going to a lot of gallery events. Pittsburgh had a has the Carnegie Mellon, uh, Museum of Art, Carnegie Mellon Museum of Art, wonderful uh, place, and Society for Contemporary Crafts is there. So I would go to a lot of these exhibitions and see them. Again, I didn't understand half of the stuff that was going on until much later, uh, to the degree that whenever I was in some of my art history courses, I didn't realize that I had seen a lot of the stuff that they were showing me in person. Mm-hmm. I didn't put that connection together on how amazing of an opportunity that was. So you just kind of inherited it in some ways. Yeah, basically. Or as my parents like to say, they bred me for it. <laughs> Well, and so, so did you, did you get to like do small medals in that when you were in high school or did you do that earlier even? Let's see. I did a couple medals projects. Uh, one at a church camp that my parents used to go to. And the other was, uh, this one craft show artist who invited us up to his studio, which is this amazing compound that I would like two stories. I forget. I think it was like 4,000 square feet. It's amazing studio space uh, in rural New York, uh, upstate New York. And so he allowed me to play with some medals there. And that was sort of my first experience, but the medals just, um, I don't know. I didn't have a lot of experience in medals whenever I started. It. Well, so how, how did you wind up pursuing that then? And granted, I know that there's probably, again, you've got so many different tangents that you could tell me on this, but in terms of then, how do you, how do you wind up uh, conv- convincing that 18-year-old uh, to, to go ahead and go for it? Because I was really, really bad at traditional book studies. Uh, you're, you're the first person to admit that, I think. I'm, I also <laughs> am not disciplined enough to stay on point to things that do not interest me. So you could, you can explain physics to me and you'll have me for about 
10 minutes and then I'm off. I'm, uh, my head's gone. I can't, I can't focus. And then it'll be, the conversation's gone too far where I can't even catch up, just not bright enough to. But if you explain it in context of art and how it actually applied to me, I can keep up with it and stay focused and interested. So my father was kind enough to sort of explain that, that he recognized that in me and, uh, that I really should just try it and just see what happens. And then the jewelry thing, like I said, I naively picked it. I ruled out all the other mediums based on really stupid high school thoughts. And, uh, so jewelry was the only one left. It seemed like it had both practical possibilities, uh, I could do the bench jeweler thing, I could do the craft show thing, or I could do the art thing. Uh, so it, it, seemed to ha- it seemed to satisfy some of those fears or, or sate some of those fears, at the same time give me plenty of opportunity. Having not done much of it, I feel really lucky that um, the techniques made sense to me and the idea of body adornment interested me and still makes sense to me. So you've talked a little bit about craft, and I think that's something that is certainly going to be brought up a number of times. And obviously, you've had this um, informative period going, you know, before college and all that. What what um, what interested you in terms of the the conceptual side of it? Because again, you know, from my perspective, where I meet you, uh, you have some angle or some way of thinking about almost every little thing in a in a philosophical way or a logical way that's so ordered. Um, is there something that compelled you about that specifically or in terms of exploring art or the way that you think it could be different than craft at the time? Sue Mandalore never really talked about this idea of, of craft being uh, a, ty- a philosophical thought or, or, a, or that's not the right phrasing. The, the craft was a category under art and that fine art was a category under art as well as design is a category under art. I mean, it's, it's, it's all art and that's where everybody trips up and why the conversation of craft and art gets so angry. Uh, the practitioners get very upset with it. We didn't talk a lot about that, but I, I understood there seemed to be something different and it wasn't really until grad school Back up. I understood that art should be about something. Art was about ideas. And I couldn't figure out how to connect the idea and the object all throughout undergrad. And that's sort of basically what I think most undergrads go through. Right, right. But I was really trying hard. I mean, I, I believed whenever I left undergrad that, you know, I had managed to do that. Not even close. And it wasn't until grad school, there was one particular piece that I finally made the connection. And I'm not sure if you'll remember it, but it was uh, Dennis gave this assignment of um, jewelry and jewelry box. And I made a small animal jump trap out of sterling silver and made an 18-karat gold ring as the bait. And I thought about it in terms of it really being a jewelry box. And that was that single piece for me that I finally understood how to connect idea with object, or I could, I could finally recognize the things that were necessary to make that kind of work. And it unfortunately took me probably another year and a half to do it again, but uh, at least I was able to start identifying what I think is necessary, where the material and the form 
uh, I'm, I'm ripping off Terry Barrett, by the way, who's one of my favorite authors, uh, in a book called um, Interpreting Art. And he says material plus, plus form plus context equals meaning. So I, I started to actually understand how those things added up to an art object. And you're right, I'm incredibly, like, logical and cl- almost clinical about my art making. It's you, you start with, in, in some ways, in some ways, I'm very, very clinical. I try to just think it through in a very rational and logical manner. You seem to could just kind of have a field day in terms of exploring different materials, different found materials, um, different angles on a, on a piece to, to make it humorous or make it something that, you know, was very cynical or have, you know, all types of different fields. So, I mean, that idea of a graduate, you know, education where you're just really supposed to abandon everything and just kind of go nuts. Is, I mean, is that the way that you kind of pursued it then in terms of trying to get back to this idea of being able to manipulate the form and the content together in a way that you wanted? I think grad school, you, you're right. You should, you should have, well, you, you come in and you start making the most students start just a continuation of undergrad. And then that gets uh, sort of dismissed very quickly and probably, and smartly, uh, it should be dismissed by, by your graduate uh, faculty. And so then you're, you have this moment of total confusion, or at least the way I felt was the total isolation and no clue what to do next. And so I just, uh, I begged Dennis for assignments actually. And then once I started getting into it, then, then I think your second year, if you're in a three-year program, is you go in like six different directions, trying things for a little bit, and you go so far, and then that kind of stops, and you're over here for a little bit. And hopefully, the ideal is that somewhere near the end of that second year, and hopefully the summertime, it it sort of comes together in a, in a logical way. I still haven't given up all that sort of jumping around experimentation. I still do a lot of that. It's just that when I reflect on that stuff, when I reflect on those pieces, I think I'm a little, I hope I'm a little more intelligent about it and under, have a better understanding of them and can sort of fit them to those other things that, that I think about whenever I'm making art. I always remember the idea of something that's uh, functional being something that's very important as well. How, how do you balance? How did you balance that out in terms of the way that you were exploring? Were there certain rules that you would make for yourself? I really like working under uh, parameters, and those parameters, of course, they're incredibly mutable too. As well as they're not—they're never hard and fast rules. I mean, even to even to work through a single idea, if, if you're truly a conceptual, a true conceptualist you're still working within a set of parameters you're you have to execute you have to communicate that idea somehow and communicate it in a direct way so there's so even there is a parameter that you're that an artist is working under i believe that function is necessary the especially if you're going to call it jewelry 
Now that, or at least dissociation of function. I mean, you can have a really loose definition of of that function, but it still must maintain that. I mean, it, it's got to keep that aspect of history to it. So all of my jewelry pieces are, are functional jewelry pieces. They're just not really practical. And the current work that I'm doing, the, the work that I was doing since I started uh, teaching here, it became a lot more sculptural. And I'd actually argue that quite a bit of it is completely sculpture and barely has anything to do with metals traditions. While I really like making work that way, and that was really interesting because that was the first time I'd sort of abandoned almost all of my metals traditions and backgrounds. As a teacher, I really struggled because my students never saw me making things that I was asking them to do. Right. Uh, a really wonderful artist named Robert Ebendorf happened to be a visiting artist up here at the time, and he made this observation that he felt that he, my students needed to see me making actual jewelry because they were observing me making not doing this stuff and I'm telling them to do it. They were trying a lot of experiments just way out of their skill set, way out of their, uh, to a degree, intellectual processing at, at that time. And so that was really resonated with me. So as far as my students are concerned, I only ever make jewelry. <laughs> That, that's all they ever see me make. They don't, they don't see a lot of that other more sculptural stuff. Or I guess it, some of it is just straight out sculpture. One of the things that, that you know, I observed or at least feel like I've observed about your work is you know, the relationship of using kind of precious materials um, to talk about sociological ideas. Mm -hmm. or, there's a certain relationship that I almost think about, too, in, in, in your background, being from Pittsburgh, being from a, a, a Rust Belt industrial city from from a time that now you know has gone through all sorts of transition is that something that you ever kind of uh thought about in your work or is that something that you always just kind of focused on um just making what you wanted to make you often hear artists talk about how their environment heavily influences what do they do or, or how they make work and i've never been that way well that's actually not true i never thought i was that way and in really wasn't until I'd say maybe as recent as 10 years ago that I was starting to understand how growing up in Pittsburgh after the coal mills had failed and going through all of these abandoned rusty buildings. And it's also a really heavily, uh, heavily blue collar city. So I didn't, and even the landscape, the, the shale and all of these huge piles of spent Coke that's dumped off from, uh, the, from the steel mill industry didn't realize how that was affecting some of my art making. And, and I guess in that, in that way I can tie in my aesthetic for the found objects and the decrepit and rusted, uh, objects that I put together with with precious metals that kind of explains some of that uh, the practicality the, the pragmatism east coast cynicism that's always prevalent mm -hmm. uh, that 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 I haven't abandoned at all well then whenever I came here when I moved to North Dakota North Dakota if, if no one has put this together yet is cold 
is flat and at least six to usually eight months out of the year covered with snow. So it's, it's a very stark environment. And what I realized was happening in my work, especially as I was really making more of the sculpture pieces, like the whole series of soap pieces with uh, hair on them and, and doing yeah, writing with hair, I realized that it was making me a lot more economical with my language, with my visual language. I was getting rid of a lot of extra stuff or stuff that I thought was extra and trying to distill it down to a more clear and concise sentence, I guess. So I was talking a little bit about material and, you know, obviously precious objects, gold, you know, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm remembering um, you made a, a, a trap piece with a ring in it with a, I believe like a Tanzanite stone. It was all about this precious object. That's a, that's kind of a direct pun or at least kind of something that's tongue in cheek kind of talking about that maybe culture of kind of lust. But then like, I think of something like the, uh, the patriotic ring that you had with the uh, uh, suction, like squirt aspect to it. Combining the pedestrian and the high art and low art sort of. Right. You also kind of explore these commercial aspects of it with this patriotic ring and, and some, you know, in some sense comedy, if it can squirt you in the face. But, you know, is it something where you've kind of gradually shifted, you know, because you were talking about economy and and things like that. Those are also um, things that are very um, around, you know, they're not they're available. You know, fine silver is something that you maybe have to order as opposed to, you know, um, collecting something that's personal like hair or using something like soap. Um, that you can buy maybe much easier. The way I approach that thinking, the way I think, or the way I think about that, is material plays heavily into the meaning of a piece, and sometimes sterling silver is the right answer because you have this, you have a, it's it is a precious material, although it's sort of false preciousness. It's one that we've added onto it because we treat it as a commodity and its association with our financial stability. So it's kind of a false, um, it's a false preciousness, but but we'll just go with, it's generally thought of as precious in our culture. And so that's very useful to use at times versus the soap piece uh, or the soap series where I was drawing engagement rings on soap well, the, they're also about the function of that object, the idea of washing your hands, cleaning, cleaning your, uh, your body, or essentially just cleansing itself. And so you can't do that with, with metal. So soap was a logical jump for me then. So I always think about or I try to think about how materials are going to add or distract from the meaning of the piece. And in some of the more, uh, well, we'll take condensation is a piece that consists of, uh, two glass globes having equal amounts of water in them. And, uh, and it's on this apparatus that looks like something out of the 19th century. Well, I chose a lot of brass for that piece because that would have been, that, that falls into that 19th century aesthetic of, uh, of, of scientific, objects 
and then of course you have the condensation. I also start thinking about here, here we're going to go on a massive tangent. And of course, uh, it also relates to the, the a very specific artist Hans Hacke's uh, condensation cubes from the 1970s. And one of the questions that you had on the sheet was, do you think about art history or what do you think about art history? And we're part of this long timeline starting from cave paintings until the last five minutes ago of art making and art going on. And so when we make things, we're part of this lineage, I think our work should continue those traditions or those examinations. And so a lot of times I try to think about how what I'm doing now relates to what other artists have done in the past. Vanitas paintings are a huge influence on me. And so a lot of the work or the symbols that I use in those, in those ephemeral pieces come from Vanitas paintings. So as a result, I look at Vanitas artists and then read about Vanitas artists to understand what they were thinking, how they were trying to examine this subject, and now how am I going to examine it? What goes into to researching a piece or inspiring a piece? How do you, how do you decide what you're going to do in terms of a new piece? Do you, do you find something? Do you uh, write? Do you read is there something that maybe is unexpected in the way that it might influence uh, exploring a, a new piece of uh, art that you want to make? I'm going to preface everything I'm about to say with this is how I used to work. And right now is the first time in my entire career that I'm stuck and not clear on what I'm making. Okay. And that's for a number of reasons that uh, things that I've been doing through with the university, my service work here, a lot of that has sort of distracted me for quite a while. So this is the first time I've ever been in this place. But in the past, it <clears throat> the way that I work with pieces or, or the way I think through is I have my central idea. And working through the sketchbook, reading, it helps me sort of process a new question to ask. Okay, a good example. The Chainmail series I've been doing off and on since grad school, which is really weird to even think that I was still making those pieces like almost nine years later. But what had happened was I, I made this chainmail fly swatter and uh it's sterling silver the the basically what would be the mesh part i turned into chainmail and the chainmail series is all about uh protection and the positive and negative side both fear fears uh contributions to protection motive or actually it's the motivation for you to feel you need protected and then of course the satisfaction of being protected the the safety of that that's what the whole series was exploring so i made the fly swatter and i looked at it and i realized it was the first time that i had ever used one of the it's the first time i made it a an offensive form of protection 
prior to that, all the pedestrian objects I had made were or were defensive only. And the fly swatter, at least to an insect, is a weapon. And so it got me, that, that brought up this other question then for me, which is what other objects could I examine that would be thought of as an offensive uh, object and still relate to that whole series? And so that sustained me for another three or four pieces I also, because of the labor intensity of my work, I really have to make sure that I have almost everything figured out and lined up before I start because I can't spend two months or, you know, and not that two months is all that long or some pieces go on for six months. I can't risk spending that much time on those pieces and then have them be epic fails. So I really try to be, I really try to think through a lot of it before I start. And that's not to say that things don't change in the process of making or you shifts, but for the most part, everything's fairly well figured out. Well, and it's also something that's very, you know, pragmatic, too, in working with uh, materials. I, I don't know if it's just that, you know, canvas and, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> pieces of wood are uh, more affordable. But, you know, when you're, when you're spending all this money on, on material, obviously you don't want to waste it or, or waste your time, which is something that's interesting. How do you embrace variables in that system? Truthfully, I hate variables. <laughs> Variables are irritating. Uh, I, I, I will remake the thing rather than in, rather than uh, in, uh, let variables control me. Actually, that's not true. The, there is a certain amount of freedom in in the in the objects that I make. Actually, there's a lot of freedom in the objects that I make. But they're they're actually not nearly as accurate or as uh, as machined as, as they really look they're they're pretty loose uh, I think in, in particularly in comparison to some of some of my other friends who are much more meticulous and, and detailed than I am then I also have a whole series of pieces the found object jewelry pieces where those are for a large to a large degree much more intuitive and they also have a lot less precious materials in them as a result so that if things go bad also finally the most awesome thing about metal is i can melt it down and start over or i can turn it in and have it recycled and buy and take the money for the recycling of the materials and buy new so the same way as most people do. I don't, it's not very, it's not very precious to me. I mean, I understand it conceptually why it's precious, but as, as a material, I have no fear with it. If I screw it up, it'll go in a scrap bin. I'll deal with it later. Gold on the other hand still terrifies me. And that's mostly because I don't work with it very often. So where are you at now, I guess, in terms of this, uh, this process or, or the way that you're thinking about your work? It is for me, the most terrifying place I've ever been. Um, I think uh, I think it was Chuck Close said that only amateurs are inspired, or something along those lines. I'm sure I'm getting it wrong, and, I, and that's always resonated with me. 
I don't believe that I don't believe in waiting for inspiration. I, I should be proactively seeking something. And, and again, because of a lot of what I was doing as just as a, as a professor, there's a large block of time, almost three years, where I only made two things. And so I come back to the studio now, and what I was doing before doesn't seem to make as much sense or doesn't seem maybe as interesting to me or I don't know. So uh, this just sort of interesting and scary little spot of what do I make next? And today I was figuring this, we were going to have this discussion uh, or this question was going to come up today. What I was thinking was I need to go back to what I know, which is, I either need to look at my idea, which is how ideologies evolve, and start asking myself, is the current way that I'm exploring it the problem? And do I need to explore this this idea in a different way? Or does the work, the way, if if I look at the work and look at the pieces that I don't think successfully meet that, that goal, what are they doing and what are they doing well? And is that of an avenue that I'd like to pursue really messed me up while I was on developmental leave last year, I went to the Appalachian center for crafts to study blacksmithing with uh, Bob Coogan, the Appalachian center for crafts, which is associated with Tennessee tech is very proudly about the traditional crafts. And I started to fall in love with some of that tradition as well. And so now I come back here, I come back to my studio and I don't have a, I don't have a Ford, so I'm not blacksmithing anymore, but it got me thinking about, well, what is craft and can craft satisfy me? Although to make that kind of a change now in my career, uh, I don't even know if I can accept what that could mean. Like, it certainly means all the event show venues that I was pursuing before, they're, that's going to nix any of those opportunities. Because this is going to be a total right-hand turn if I head down this path. So essentially I'm standing at a before a bunch of decisions and every one of them has positive and negative outcomes and positive and negative possibilities. Well, to ask kind of another side of it then to a positive side of it, I mean, is, is, is that something that you're excited about to pursue? What traditional crafts? I am. But I don't know if it would be a really smart move for my academic career. <laughs> like as an artist, it really interests me to to make traditional craft, functional objects, following historic precedents, following all the traditions that that set this 
I don't know, literally, that's this field's about. And yeah, that excites me and really interests me because in some ways I think that, I think that craft communicates more directly with people than fine art does because fine art in many cases is a little elitist because it's not, it's not part of their people's everyday lives. And so they don't have a direct communication with it and they have more of a, an observation with it versus craft. I think people have a very direct conversation with, and that's kind of cool. <laughs> a lame word to say, but it's kind of, that's really interesting. Well, so it sounds like you're, you know, really in this time of um, transition in terms of just incorporating some of these things. And although maybe you make it sound more dire, I, I feel like, again, that, that experience of um, just exploring something that you're interested in is going to be something that results in something. So is, is there anything that you're particularly looking forward to just uh, exploring and just saying, I'm going to just go with this? Yeah, I have three things that have been rattling around in the back of my head. And like I said, on the one hand, it's it's pure craft, in which case I would love to continue blacksmithing and making uh, knives. So that's one thing. And that could be really, really interesting and amazing. And then the academic metalsmith in me has been thinking about uh, continuing the glass pieces, but while I was at uh, Appalachian Center for Crafts, the, one of the glass blowers uh, told me that he would make anything that I asked him to do. So I had to make all these uh, globe forms, but they but they're altered in a way to allow me to add other objects to them, uh, such as man-made objects like uh, like calipers or shears. And inside of them, I want to set up either miniature landscapes or I want to set up um, actual growing plants and hopefully start to make this connection of man-made objects, man's encroachment on nature. and, And then that might be another interesting way to sort of move forward. And the third way is... I'm also really interested in continuing looking at scientific objects, thinking of jewelry or thinking more about specimens, museum presentation of objects that changes the meaning. That's a really convoluted statement that doesn't make as much sense. Uh, There's a great book called Art and the Power of Placement, there's a lot of great books that talk about placement and how putting objects next to each other in a museum completely changes and removes, negates some of their intended meaning. And I've been thinking about how that, how can I use that same sort of strategy in my work? And so those are some of the things going on in my head. One of the things that I'm really struck by about your work, too, and especially with the idea that people really have a no real way of they don't experience life in the same way. Everything is much more removed. And 
in many instances, to me, it seems like there's kind of a, a loss of historical knowledge and real ability to do things. Do you think that that's also something that you're you're longing for by kind of pursuing things that are, um, you know, just pure craft oriented? Well, that's what interests me about craft is continuing a ten thousand year timeline and ten thousand year tradition of the simplest thing. You know, I, I love ceramics for that very reason. There is something really beautiful about taking, participating in that tradition and in the most traditional way. I think that the integrity of uh, an artist to kind of make something that they believe in is something that something that's always in the work. And maybe that's the hesitancy partially in terms of the way that you're you know, describing these other pieces, but um, I don't know that that's anything to shy away from. It seems like that's something that's very interesting, especially you know when we're, you know, in a in a time where um, you know all of our uh, all of our ways of connecting with people, especially online, you know, have you know advertising sold along with them. Mm-hmm. You know, you really don't. I mean, you might you might know that someone got a dog, but you haven't seen them in 10 years or, you know, you couldn't identify them on the street. So I think in a way too, that idea of, of trying to do something that's practical. I mean, is, is that something that's also the result of kind of, I don't know. I, I don't know if you ever uh, tune into uh, uh, daytime television for, oh gosh, morning shows, but you know what I mean? I, I mean, is that I a used way? To. Is I that... used to love those things. <laughs> but is, is that a way also to kind of tap into that too? I mean, it sounds like it is. Maybe. Um, I, I hope that, uh, that I am as uh, nostalgic and eloquent and philosophical about my craft making as you just described it. <laughs> uh, because there is something, you're on to something. I don't know. I don't mind. I don't hate technology. I don't, there is a lot of truth to what you said. Again, I'll go home tonight and I'll process that one for like several hours. Actually, it'll take me weeks to process some of the stuff that we've just talked about. Just don't listen to it as the biggest there thing. You go. Otherwise, you'll just cringe. Um, <laughs> well, again, you know, I don't know. I, uh, hopefully, it's something that in the uh, future we can have some other similar conversation. And uh, again, thanks uh, for being so direct and uh, honest about uh, where you're at. Well, thank you for giving me the opportunity. I do appreciate it. Even though these things make me really nervous, I do appreciate it. Thanks again to Donovan for joining us, and please check out his website, DonovanWidmere.com. If you happen to be stranded at an airport with nothing to do, please check out my website, DavidLinaway.com. I am a painter and most recently just threw up some works from a transfer series. Again, those are kind of these architectural landscape paintings that incorporate wonderful franchises like McDonald's, gas stations. So please go ahead and check them out at DavidLinaway.com. As always, if you like this podcast, please check out all of the other ones that we have on studiobreak.com. You can easily subscribe to the podcast in iTunes. Just follow that link on the blog post. You'll pop up in iTunes and you can subscribe there. If you've been listening there for a while, we would really like it if you would just give us some comments, some feedback. 
And again, it just helps visibility in iTunes for other people out there from around the world checking out cool podcasts. So please go ahead and help us out there. You can also help us out by using all of those handy share buttons. You can follow us on Twitter at Studio Break or check out our new page on Tumblr, studio Break. Tumblr. Again, we're kind of late to the party there, so please, please follow us there and let others know. Always, always you can check out our Facebook page where we provide updates to some of the guests that we have coming up, share announcements and things like that, so please like our Facebook page as well. And although I wish we could take out full spreads in Art Forum and wonderful art magazines, we really rely on your help. So please, please help us out in that manner if you like this podcast. Once again, we really enjoy making it for you and making it available on studiobreak.com. So thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to you real soon.